0: Never do you see a federal court hearing involving Donald Trump, but today we heard every single word. The lead starts right now. Challenging the order, the former president pushing back on a federal judge who put limits on what Trump can say and where he could say it. Ahead will take you inside the courtroom and why today's hearing mattered so much. Plus anger in Israel, the heated exchanges with families of hostages kidnapped by Hamas and protesting boss moves. Hundreds of employees at tech giant OpenAI threatened to quit over the firing of their founder and face of the company. Welcome to Lead, everyone. I'm Bianna Golodriga, in for Jake Tapper. We start with a remarkable day in one of Donald Trump's four criminal cases. Federal courts do not allow live cameras, but today we got to hear live audio in the federal election subversion case. The former president faces charges that include conspiring to overturn the 2020 election and trying to obstruct an official proceeding. Today's hearing was all about challenging a gag order in this case, which put limits on what Trump could say about the judge or witnesses or the prosecution led by special counsel Jack Smith. Trump argued that gag order violated his free speech. And today, before a three-person appeals panel, we could hear in that courtroom audio Trump's legal team and prosecutors going back and forth about whether Trump's rhetoric might derail this trial or even put jurors and witnesses at risk. Lawyers for Donald Trump and the Justice Department facing off before a federal appeals court in Washington. In a fiery hearing lasting well over two hours, the former president's lawyer arguing that a gag order imposed in the election interference case violates Trump's First Amendment rights.
1: The order is
2: unprecedented and it sets a terrible precedent for future restrictions on core political
0: speech. The appeals court had temporarily frozen the gag order, a move prosecutors for Jack Smith say allows the former president to continue his attacks on the special counsel and his family. A lawyer for the former president argued that Trump should be allowed to respond to allegations on the campaign trail and has a constitutional right to talk about the election interference case, an argument the judges seemed skeptical of.
3: Labeling it core political speech begs the question... Of whether it is in fact political speech or whether it is political speech aimed at derailing or corrupting the criminal justice
0: process. Trump's attorney said witnesses in this case haven't been attacked because they were singled out by the former president.
2: That's all based on evidence that's three years old and is weighed against the fact that they have no evidence of any fa- threats or harassment that have happened in this particular
0: case to which prosecutors pointed to threats against Special Counsel Jack Smith, his team, and Judge Tanya Chutkin, who was overseeing this case.
4: Special Counsel has been subject to multiple threats, and the specific Special Counsel's office prosecutor that the defendant has targeted through recent inflammatory public posts has been subject to intimidating communication.
0: But the Democrat-appointed judges on Monday also had sharp questions for prosecutors about the scope of the gag order and whether it was needed to protect the special counsel and his family. One of the judges said Smith likely would not be intimidated by these posts. Surely he has a thick enough skin. Another judge said Trump could not operate under a gag order on a debate stage. He has to speak mismanners while everyone
3: else is, is throwing... um, Targets at him.
0: The judges also raised the possibility of Trump trying to influence former Vice President Mike Pence's testimony.
3: Let's assume uh, former Vice President Mike Pence is going to testify. And it's the night before his testimony. Um, Could the defendant tweet out, Mike Pence can still fix this? Mike Pence can still do
0: the right thing. Drawing parallels to when the former president said this on January 6th.
2: I hope Mike is going to do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. Because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election.
5: I want to bring in
0: CNN's Evan Perez and Kristen Holmes, along with former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. Good to see all of you. Uh, Evan, let's start with you. This specific hearing had audio recordings, giving us a rare glimpse into how Trump's speech is being argued in court, along with some hypothetical situations. What out of all of it stood out to you?
5: Well, just the fact that we were able to listen to these judges as they were grappling with what really is an unprecedented question, right? And uh, this was, uh, by the way, this was a hearing that was supposed to go for less than an hour. It went over uh, to over two and a half hours. Uh, today, and you could see that they were trying to, uh, with some of the hypotheticals that they raised, for instance, the one about Mike Pence, you can see that they're trying to figure out a way that they can preserve some kind of uh, gag order, something that is pretty standard in courts, right? Before you go to trial, this is very it's very common for defendants to have some restrictions of some kind, but obviously this is not just anybody, any, any, any other defendant. This is Donald Trump and he's running for president. So you could tell that they were using these uh, these uh, hypotheticals to try to at least pierce through what the Trump team is arguing, which is that his First Amendment rights sh- should trump everything, that they, uh, because, as a result of his First Amendment rights and the fact that he's running for president, that she- he should have no restrictions. Clearly, that's not where these three judges uh, are sitting.
0: And Ellie, let, let's say this appeals court upholds the gag order with, with some minor changes. How might they strike a balance between Trump's free speech and protecting people from his aggressive rhetoric?
2: Well, Biana, there's really more art than science to this, because what these judges have to do is exactly that. They have to strike a balance. On the one hand, any criminal defendant has a First Amendment right to speak publicly about his case, even aggressively or in ways that may be deemed confrontational or offensive. On the other hand, a judge, the trial judge, does have the right and the duty to protect the proceedings, specifically witnesses, victims and jurors. The only real sort of principle here is that it has to be as narrow as possible. Any restriction has to be as narrow as possible. And on that note, I do think the trial judge has done a very good job of crafting a very narrow gag order. It's important to keep in mind. DOJ originally brought the trial judge an extraordinarily broad, I think overbroad, suggestion for the gag order. They wanted her to prevent Trump from speaking publicly in any negative way about anything to do with this trial. And Judge Chuck, and I think wisely, rejected that. And instead she put in a very narrow order that really is just geared towards protecting witnesses and staff for the most part. And so that's what the Court of Appeals is looking at here today. They may tweak it in some respects, but I suspect they're ultimately going to uphold the core of this gag order.
0: OK, so, Kristen, now comes the tricky question, because let's say they do uphold it. If the gag order becomes more limited, let's say, the question then turns to whether Trump would even abide by it.
6: Right. That's always the question, Biana. Now, yeah. I was told by one senior advisor that Donald Trump will go all the way up to the line, have his toes right there but hopefully not cross it. And this is because he has been advised by lawyers where exactly the line is in the existing gag orders. Now, after he was fined in New York in the civil case for violating the gag order there, he has had extensive conversations with his legal team over what exactly he was allowed to say and not to say. I've even been told that some of his social media posts went through lawyers when both of those gag orders were in effect, just to make sure that he wasn't crossing the line there. But it is Donald Trump and Donald Trump tends to say exactly what is on his mind. So while they don't think, they don't they hope that he will not cross that line. It just it's very difficult with a client like Donald Trump who tends to not pay attention to the rules and do what he wants.
0: That's one way of putting it, Kristen. Um so Evan, as we know, Trump has already been given a ton of leeway with right. regards to this gag order. How can it be enforced if the judges then loosen restrictions on top of that?
5: Yeah, no, that's that's the biggest problem, and I think it raised the, the, the judges raised that a little bit today because at one point the uh, the the the, 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 um, the prosecutors wanted, for instance, this to be attached to uh, his uh, his release uh, conditions, and Judge Chotkin did not do that. Um, but the question is always like, how do you how do you enforce this? In the end. I don't think a judge is going to throw Donald Trump in jail Right? while he's running for office, before his trial in March. That's just not going to happen. So the problem is if you create all of these conditions, all of these restrictions, knowing that he's going to go right up to the line and you're gonna be bringing him to court right? to try to uh, wrestle with whether or not he's violated or not, it's gonna waste a lot of time. And so I think that's the biggest issue is that Donald Trump in the end knows that there's a lot of reluctance by the judges to actually enforce whatever they do here.
0: And look, Ellie, to to Evan's point, it took more time than had been estimated for this hearing today, as we said, over two hours. I mean, this is a serious matter. Uh, It appears that the former president has leverage, at least in his mind, that he likely won't be put in jail. So would it still be an effective gag order, even with these possible revisions?
2: Well, I think it will be effective insofar as it goes, Biana. I okay. think that if we emerge from this hearing with a gag order that is specifically aimed to protecting victims, witnesses, and court staff, then Donald Trump will be bound by that. But it's really important to keep in mind even if we emerge with the same gag order that's currently in place, that doesn't mean Donald Trump's gonna suddenly become polite and demure and sort of benevolent in the way he talks about this case. He will still have plenty of leeway to attack the case, to say this case is bogus, to say these charges against me are nonsense, to attack the entire prosecution against him. He can do that. He can do that aggressively, even under the gag order as it now stands. What he cannot do is say things that are targeted at witnesses, at victims and staff. So it doesn't mean he's suddenly going to become easygoing about it or it doesn't mean he's suddenly going to become silent about this case, even if this gag order stands.
0: So Kristen, then how do you envision this playing out for him politically going into the primaries? Well,
6: look, a big part
0: of Trump's
6: defense, his campaign, is the fact that he says that he is being politically persecuted. They have made this narrative around these various legal battles part of his political campaign. He's the underdog. The government is picking on him. You know, as Ellie says, yes, he can still attack the case. But the one problem when it comes to the former president is that he holds grudges and he holds grudges towards people specifically. He wants to talk about Mike Pence. He wants to talk about what happened. He believes that people have turned against him. This is that victim mentality that we always talk about with the former president. So it'll be interesting to see how he can actually marry those
0: two and, again, abide by those limitations. All right. We'll be watching. Thank you all. We appreciate it. Thanks. Well, then there's President Biden. Hear how he took on one of the biggest concerns of his 2024 re-election campaign as he celebrates his birthday. Also coming up, big news from the White House today about the fate of the hostages kidnapped by Hamas and the negotiations to get them released.
7: Uh, This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature quiets their snores, Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep Better Together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
0: Two celebrations at the White House today as President Biden pardoned this year's Thanksgiving turkeys, Liberty and Bell. He also joked about his birthday as he turns 81 years old, the oldest serving president in U.S. history. So let's discuss. Michael, let's start with you. It seems like President Biden is trying to find the humor in getting older. So on that note, I want to start with Saturday Night Live poking fun at his age. Listen.
8: Insiders are concerned that President Biden's chances for reelection could be damaged by his unwavering support for Israel. But I think the bigger problem for Biden is that he is six years older than Israel.
0: (laughs) Okay, that was funny. But uh, Donald Trump is also older than Israel. And a new article in The Atlantic Today is simply titled, Has Anyone noticed That Trump Is Really Old? He's Younger Than Biden, But Not By Much. So, Michael, why does it seem Democratic voters are so much more worried about age than Republican voters are?
9: Well, I'm not sure. I mean, the polls are what they are, right? You can't dispute what what the data says. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same data next week or a year from now. I do think a lot of Democratic voters are using age, though, as, as sort of a parking spot for their general... I don't know, dissatisfaction with a lack of choice. Uh, it, I think that a lot of young voters might want somebody else. But I do think this was the case last time as well. Joe, President Biden, uh, God love him, is not a movement president or a or movement candidate. Uh, but he is the best candidate. And he is the right candidate. And he does meet the moment. And he has delivered. Uh, so it's going to be up to young voters to make a choice. Do You want to go with the guy who wants to take away your rights or the guy who wants to keep them.
0: Michael, uh, to that point, you know, you say polls are what they are. You're not going to change people's minds. This is where things were before. I mean, these have been pretty consistent polls. And, and to that point, I'd like to play for you what uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre said when she was pressed about this issue. Clearly, this is getting under their skin. I'd like you to respond okay. to what she said about it. We're not going to change the minds of Americans. I get that. Americans are going to feel how they feel, and we're going to respect that. What I can tell
1: you is what our perspective is. What I can tell you is how we see things. And we believe experience, this president having experience to get things done is important.
0: I mean, what does she mean, you're not going to try to change the mind of Americans? Isn't that what campaigning is all about? Isn't it about putting up his record and trying to convince Americans why they should be happier and more satisfied with him than his opponent?
9: Well, sure, and he'll make the affirmative case. But she's right. We can't change his age. You know, it really reminded me a little bit of 1992. First of all, I think what the president is doing, by the way, is leaning in on this. And and I'm glad he is, because it worked for Reagan. Uh, Bobby Kennedy always said, hang a lantern on your problems. That's what he's doing, turn a strength or a weakness into a strength. The Clintons were very good at that. And what they did in 92 was they took on uh, a weakness, which was their personal life. And they went before 60 Minutes, the highest rated TV show, got 34 million views. Uh, I'm sorry, 44, 34 million viewers, the the top five interviews of all time. And it turned the campaign around because they confronted the interview head on. And what did Hillary say? If you don't like it, heck, don't vote for him. But you have a choice between Biden and Trump.
0: Yeah, but in this case, I mean, it's not just his age, right? That, that seems to be the headline. But there are also indications that, that voters are not happy with the state of the economy and just don't feel optimistic uh, under his leadership, regardless of what the real data shows. But but let's move on, Sarah. Um, when Nancy Pelosi and other Democratic leaders stepped down last year, you know they were all in their 80s. And, and Nancy Pelosi said at the time that the hour has come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus. What did they see that President Biden either doesn't see now or thinks that he can avoid?
3: Yeah, well, I think one of the things that was kind of implicit in President Biden's pitch the first time around is that he was going to be kind of a bridge president, right? That he was going to kind of save us in this dire moment uh, for democracy. And then he was going to pass the torch onto a younger generation. And I think there's a hunger for that. Uh, in the Democratic Party and in the country in general. And so I do think that some of the dissatisfaction that you're seeing from voters was they they didn't really think Biden was going to run for a second term. And in fact, I do a lot of focus groups with voters across the political spectrum. And one of the things I find sort of the most interesting is the way that so many of us in Washington, D.C. are really Have come to terms with the fact that it is very likely to be a race uh, between Trump and Biden again. But voters still have not arrived at that conclusion. They still think that there might be some different for both on both sides, that there might be alternate candidates that still might emerge, even though that is extremely unlikely to happen.
0: Yeah. But to be fair, um, Michael, I mean, President Biden did say that he was just the bridge candidate, but he also said that he ran in 2020 to defeat Donald Trump. I would imagine then that the campaign didn't expect to have Donald Trump as he appears to be now as the front runner for the Republican nomination.
9: Well, I don't know about that. The uh, former president made it pretty pretty clear that he was planning to run, uh, that he was going to run again. And so I think there was always, at least from what I from what I experienced, that it was always anticipated he would run again. But we're we're back to that dire situation. We're there, and I feel comfortable going with the Democrat who did beat Donald Trump once by seven million votes. He might be 81, yes. Uh, The first lady, when she was campaigning for him in 2019 in New Hampshire, she got in a little uh, hot water with her campaign uh, because she did what people do when they uh, tell a gaffe, is because they're telling something obvious and they're actually telling the truth. And what she say, you know, you might not agree with them on everything. You might not like them. But you have to swallow it because the moment is the stakes are too high.
0: Yeah. Well, well, Sarah, we are starting to hear more from Republican candidates being more honest about how they feel about not not President Biden's age, but, but Donald Trump's age. We heard that with Ron DeSantis over the weekend uh, with uh, with Jake Tapper in, in an interview. What is your take on this? Are we finally seeing some traction from Republican candidates on this issue?
3: I'm not sure about traction because I don't see the voters having a lot of concerns about Trump's age the way that I hear voters talking about concerns about Biden's age. I mean, the fact is Trump has kind of a big lunatic energy. Uh, There is something, voters sort of talk about the fact that he is a bully and he is so aggressive and that gives him kind of this sheen of seeming to be uh, somewhat younger. The other thing about Donald Trump is that Donald Trump has never had Uh, particularly good verbal skills. He's never been the kind of guy that you think, boy, he's really sharp. Uh, Often when he talks, he is rambling uh, and vaguely incoherent. And so I think it's harder to spot his decline uh, as he ages. Um, But I also think that part of the issue for Trump is that his unfitness does not lie in his age. The problem Mm -hmm. for President Trump is that he is completely unfit because he is a real threat to democracy, um, and uh, and I think has been unfit now for for many, many years. And so I think it's good for some of these candidates to start talking about his age. I think it's good to draw a contrast or maybe a lack of contrast between Joe Biden's age and Donald Trump's age. But people who reject Donald Trump are not going to do it because he's old. They're going to do it uh, because he is dangerous and unfit to be the president of the United States.
9: But you know what, honest Sarah had, hit on something really important is that... I think he can win back — he can get these people back who are concerned about his age. He can assuage their concerns by taking on the bully. That's what peop- that's what Democrats want. I think that that issue will go away, those concerns will go away once the president starts having fun on the campaign trail, like we just saw him today, mm-hmm. and starts punching back.
0: Big lunatic energy. I can't get that phrase out of my mind now, Sarah. Thank you for that. Um, Sarah, Michael, we appreciate it. Well, up Thank next, you. a tense confrontation today involving families of hostages calling on Israel's government to do more to bring their loved ones home.
5: <laughs>
0: Dozens of civilians held hostage by Hamas since October 7th could be released within days, sources tell CNN. And today, the White House said negotiations are, quote, getting close to a deal. This is not the first time, though, that we've heard that a deal has been close. But now negotiators from various countries are expressing more optimism. Let's go straight to CNN's MJ Lee, who's at the White House for us. So, MJ, why are negotiators more upbeat about this deal this time?
1: Well, Biana, we have been covering these negotiations for weeks now, and we were told in the past at different points uh, that a deal had been close. But we are sensing a different level of optimism now that an agreement may be within reach and possibly coming uh, within days. Sources tell me and my colleagues that according to a recent draft uh, language of a potential deal, uh, it would have Hamas releasing some 50 hostages in exchange for a four to five day pause in fighting Now, the gaps between uh, the parties have begun to close, we are told, though there are uh, furious deliberations about how actually the deal would be implemented and also on the question of aid, humanitarian aid that would be going in uh, to Gaza. Now, the White House, of course, has been working around the clock on this issue, it has said. Uh, we've seen Brett McGurk, the White House Middle East coordinator, uh, crisscrossing the region over the last week or so. CIA Director Bill Burns has also been closely engaged, but information, Biana, about American hostages in Gaza has been incredibly difficult to ascertain. Take a listen. For any of the potential American hostages, um, is there confidence that they are alive? I know that you've addressed the lack of proof of life videos and such in the past. but I would say we have no indication otherwise. And just to give you a sense of how tenuous these negotiations have been, uh, sources also told us that Hamas had recently put these negotiations on hold, that they had essentially gone dark. And one of their many objections was Israel's raid uh, into Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza. So this just gives you one illustration of how challenging it has been for the U.S. and Israel to try to negotiate with Hamas.
0: Biana. One of those American hostages, just three years old. MJ Lee, thank you. Well, meanwhile in Gaza, darkness and destruction inside Indonesian hospital. At least 12 people, including patients and medical staff, were killed when Israeli tank fire hit the hospital. That's according to the Hamas-controlled Palestinian health ministry. Now, This follows last week's IDF raid on Gaza's largest hospital, Al Shifa. Israel is now under an immense amount of pressure to prove claims that Hamas used the, med- the medical complex as a command center. The nation's credibility could be at stake as more than 12,000 people have been killed, reportedly been killed, inside of Gaza. CNN's Oren Lieberman is live in Tel Aviv for us. So, Oren, what sort of evidence has Israel provided thus far to back up the claim that Hamas is using hospitals as cover?
8: The first part of that evidence is an exposed tunnel shaft which we've gotten a chance to look at over the course of the past several days. We traveled into Gaza with the IDF to see the shaft itself to see the opening. They then released video showing a camera going down into the shaft. We geolocated it and saw the entrance to that video, so we know it's the same tunnel entrance that we were able to see. And then it shows the tunnel itself. They say it's 10 meters deep, so some 30 or 33 feet, and 55 meters long, so more than 150 feet long before it comes to a metal door. They haven't opened that door yet because they say they are afraid it's booby-trapped, but that's where the effort goes now as Israel tries to build this case, showing what it has long asserted that Hamas uses the hospital above ground to carry out what it calls terror infrastructure below ground. They also released a series of videos here, you'll be able to see these videos in a moment, showing what they say are Hamas bringing two prisoners in, or two hostages in, and it's time stamped October 7th, so the day of the terror attack in Israel. The IDF says this is a Thai citizen who was taken hostage in, hostage, and a Nepali citizen who was taken hostage and were quickly brought to the hospital uh, before the, the sort of the war expanded and Israel began its attack on Gaza. Now, interestingly, Hamas doesn't deny this specific piece of video. In fact, they say they brought hostages to hospitals, in their words, so they could meticulously monitor their health before they were taken to detention. Biana.
0: yeah, That doesn't make much sense since a lot of them were, were injured at the hands of Hamas. But, but let's move on, because we also see the topic of hostages being front and center today in Israel. What are the families hearing from officials there?
8: A few different aspects on hostages and the families of hostages. First, many of those families are at the defense ministry here, a bit behind me, meeting for the first time with the War Cabinet. That's the senior Israeli leadership, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, effectively running the war. They've waited 45 days for this meeting. They've camped outside of the defense ministry. They marched on Jerusalem. And finally, that meeting is happening. They've been in there for a couple of hours. We are expecting a statement when they come out, and perhaps one from uh, Benjamin Netanyahu as well. But also in the Knesset, in Israel's parliament, there was a debate about a law proposed by some far-right ministers that would reinstitute the death penalty for terrorists. Now the families of the hostages say, look, don't push this right now. We think it endangers our loved ones who are being held in Gaza. Look at what this turned into quickly. We don't have, uh, we are waiting, I should say, for the families to come out of the meeting at the Defense Ministry. They were expecting to go in with a list of concrete questions. As of right now, Biana, they say they're not expecting any definitive answers. They're just looking to know that the War Cabinet cares about their loved ones uh, in Gaza as much of, if not more, than they care about trying to defeat Hamas.
0: Yeah, that was so difficult to watch. Clearly, these families just in unimaginable pain. Orrin Lieberman, thank you. Well, up next, the pink slip rocking the tech world. Sam Altman let go at OpenAI. Why this firing is making so much news and has hundreds of his former employees threatening to quit over it.
10: From executive producers Pak chan and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th
9: exclusively on Max.
0: In our Earth Matter series, a moment scientists have been warning about for decades. For the first time, the global average temperature on Friday was more than two degrees Celsius hotter than levels before industrialization. Now, that's a crucial threshold that could have irreversible impacts on the planet. Let's go to CNN's chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir. So, Bill, walk us through the significance of this and what the impacts could be.
4: Well, Biana, the of course, the Paris Accord was hoping to hold things at 1.5 degrees Celsius with a limit of two. One-third of the days this year were above 1.5 degrees. That's how hot the last 12 months have been, and yes, uh, humanity reach that red letter two degrees Celsius point. This is the, really the troubling point. Science has always pointed to as a point where we start to see these tipping points where methane is released in the Arctic perhaps or, or ice shelves uh, on the Antarctic might break off and things could happen suddenly. That of course might happen after decades above two degrees, not just a short period. But if you look at that chart from Copernicus, this is the UN's or the uh, Europe's space and climate agency. You see the red line where we are off the charts compared to all the decades that come before. The spaghetti at the bottom are our 10-year periods going back to the 40s. Off the charts, warmest in 125,000 years. And on top of this, we just got a new projection from the UN that just looked at the plans for fossil fuel extraction. Already what's underway, what's in the pipeline, they say will warm us up to double right now. Uh, It could be 2.9 degrees as well. That despite all the pledges to decarbonize, that emissions hit a record in 2022, over 57 gigatons of carbon put up into the sea and sky. It needs to come down at a rate of 29 percent by the end of this decade, by 2030. Biana, we're on track now to just, with all the pledges met, be less than 10 percent decrease.
0: Really sobering. Bill Weir, thank you. Coming up, the technology that some argue could be a threat to humanity. What's behind the uproar over AI? That's next. In our tech lead, a story that not even Chad GPT could write. A major shakeup in the world of artificial intelligence that centers around fears of the danger posed by this transformative technology. Sam Altman, head of OpenAI, which owns ChatGPT, was fired by its board over fears that he was more concerned about driving business than how the technology could negatively impact society. Altman was then quickly hired by Microsoft, and now more than 500 OpenAI employees have threatened to leave with him, prompting the second interim head of OpenAI to be named in as many days. Here to help us understand what this means is Amy Webb, CEO of Future Today Institute. Um, A lot of whiplash over the weekend about what transpired, Amy. It's good to see you. So Sam Altman, for those who don't know, is a major player in this space, similar to Mark Zuckerberg at the dawn of social media. How do you view his departure from the company? Well, look, there's no doubt this is an incredibly big deal. Um, so
11: Sam Altman, along with his co-founders, they were the masterminds behind an advanced AI system that most people know as ChatGPT. Importantly, though, he's the public face of the company. Um, and so this really has called into question the future role of AI in defining the strategic roadmap for what AI in general looks like. And now that his one of his co-founders and and two-thirds of the company have Uh, either already left or threatening to leave, that does beg into question what happens with this company
0: that has really started, you know, worldwide to lead the development of AI. Well, as you know, as you just said, Altman and one of his co-founders not only left, but they left from Microsoft. Um, That's another major investor in open AI. So how is this relationship between these two companies going to work? Because it sounds like a lot of people are willing to jump ship with him over to Microsoft.
11: Right, so there, it's absolute chaos right now. And, and I think the story that's being missed here is that Microsoft has been a global leader in AI for more than a decade. So uh, what, what we're reading is that Sam has is, is been appointed to some to, to lead some kind of new cutting edge AI division. We're not entirely sure. You know, there's many, many people at that company who are all working on AI. So I think at this point, there's some amount of saving face that needs to happen. Look, Microsoft made a significant investment in this company, I think $13 billion yeah, um, or, or, you know, 49 percent of a stake. We're not talking about chump change here.
0: Yeah, it's not a trivial uh, amount, but there, there appears to be a substantive concern bigger picture on the speed and safety of AI's development. There there are reports, as we noted in the intro, circulating of growing divisions within the company on this very matter that may have ultimately led to this big shakeup. So is that really the question at the heart of what we're seeing play out here?
11: So interestingly, we've actually seen this story play out before; it just didn't get the, achieve the same uh, number of headlines. Um, and that happened at DeepMind, which is a, a competitor to OpenAI, um, and it's owned by Google. Similarly, there were concerns within the company about a rush to commercialize and, um, you know, a heads-down approach to this sort of basic research, and it resulted in another exodus. So, co-founder left; um, some of the people who were part of that company left, and you know, here we are today. I think the issue here is that there's always going to be a tension between critical emerging technologies and the vast sums of money they require to build and, a, you know, an attempt to commercialize so that investors can earn back that investment. Um, that, that tension has always existed, but because we're dealing with a critical technology that's really sort of a black box at this point, I think people are right to be concerned about what comes next.
0: And in terms of what the average consumer sees playing out here, how does Altman leaving change the course of ChatGPT or other AI tools people are, can and will be using in their daily lives even more going forward?
11: In the immediate term, I don't know that it changes all that much. Um, The the systems, I I just used it a few minutes ago, so the systems still work. And with or without Sam uh, and Greg at the helm, there are plenty of research scientists there, including their chief uh, scientist, continuing to work on the platform. I think, though, that the reverberations will be felt in a broader sense throughout business. Advanced technologies like AI, they require mature governance, a mature board with experienced directors. And that was not the case when it comes to open AI. We also need managers who have the right skills to navigate that company into the future. And so I, I think this could wind up having a pretty chilling effect on not AI technology itself, but the way that these companies are run and the pace at which we gain access to the products and services they're building. That may start to slow down.
0: Yeah, it appeared like it was amateur hour at the company over the weekend when the interim CEO was also then let go 24 hours later. Amy Webb, great to see you, thank you. Thank you. large, Large events disrupted by drones. Why the unmanned aircraft is on the radar of authorities ahead of large holiday events in the coming weeks. International lead new fears tonight about drones and the threats they pose to major events, including sports. Just last week, a drone flew into an NFL stadium, causing confusion and putting the game to a halt. As CNN's Pete Muntean reports, the federal government is on alert about these increasing incidents and the nefarious purposes that could be tied to them.
4: The
10: showstopper at last Thursday's Baltimore Ravens game was not a play, but a drone halting the action at m and Bank Stadium twice. We saw them up there, drones. That's the first. And the Department of Homeland Security fears it won't be the last, warning the threat goes beyond just hobbyists.
0: A range of adversaries are using drones to advance their nefarious purposes.
10: Just last year, the Justice Department said there is a very significant threat of a drone attack on a mass gathering in this country, warning that it is only a matter of time. Congress has authorized DHS's counter-drone authorities, but only until January.
0: If the Department of Homeland Security and our partners do not get an expansion, that will leave Americans more vulnerable to harm from drones.
10: Incidents are making headlines almost daily. In May, police in Ohio charged three men with using drones to deliver drugs to prisoners. A suspected drone at London's Gatwick Airport caused flights to stop for hours. Drones caused delays at Pittsburgh's airport earlier this year. Maintain 4,000. Reports of numerous drones now around the airfield. The solution is not a shootdown. DHS wants to ground hostile drones by interrupting the signal between the drone and the operator. Interference causes most drones to go into what's called a lost link procedure, triggering a return to the operator. Someone who, say, flies over a sporting event because they
2: literally want to get the bird's eye view of that activity may be
10: putting the people on the ground in a harmful situation. The FAA bans drones within three miles of baseball, football, and NASCAR stadiums. The agency says most drone operators are law-abiding, but it only takes one to raise alarm. They think they bought a toy, but in reality, you've purchased an aircraft, so safety is paramount.
0: And Pete joins us now from Dulles International Airport outside of Washington, D.C. So, Pete, drones are also a major area of concern around airports, too.
10: Yeah, the FAA says drones are spotted near airports hundreds of times each month. Now, drones are big business in the U.S., and many of them are about to go on sale for Black Friday in just a few days. The head of the TSA just told me here at Dulles that those who get them as gifts must know the rules Or face a $30,000 fine, Biana?
0: All right, Pete Montina, Dallas International Airport, thank you so much. Well, if you ever miss an episode of The Lead, you can listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Our coverage continues now in The Situation Room.
7: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that.